middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond. With Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, this is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's up? Welcome into Keeper of the Games. We are the wildly underqualified yet mildly entertaining podcast all about sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas and beyond. I'm Tommy Castor along with Weston Mills. Time for another episode of the Cogpod. It's our first episode in the month of September. As you know, I, I don't want to say that the year is flying by because really it's not. It's kind of moving at a snail's pace, but I feel like this podcast is flying by for sure, considering that we're already in September and already up to episode number 32. Uh, Weston, welcome in, man. How are things going? Man, it is hard to believe that we are eight days away from Kansas City Chiefs football kicking off and the NFL as a whole kicking off. I mean, it just... It- it really is truly blowing my mind. It feels like Tommy, it seriously feels like just the other day we were talking about whether March Madness was going to get canceled. We were celebrating a chief Super Bowl, And now somehow all of a sudden in this time vortex that COVID has created, we're ready for football season again. It's, it's, it's so hard to believe. Yeah, without a doubt. To put it in perspective, we launched this podcast back in the month of February. So by the time we started, the Super Bowl was already over. You know, the the Chiefs were already Super Bowl champs. And we've talked about Kansas City throughout the months of this show, but it's been in regards to the draft. And then it's been in regards to different contract signings and free agency and, you know, all of that. Uh, Here in the next couple of weeks, we're actually, fingers crossed, going to be able to talk about the actual football game with the Chiefs in action as they kick off one week from Thursday night. So by the time the show drops on Thursday morning, it'll be one week uh, before the Chiefs kick off their season against the Houston Texans. We're going to talk a lot more about that and about the Chiefs and a lot of the things that have happened over the last seven days with them a little bit later on in the program. We're also going to recap the week that was for the Kansas City Royals, talk about the trade deadline and so much more and uh, a lot uh, also going on on this show that we'll get to in in just a little while. Before we get into any of that, especially our top story, I do want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you will get a notification. Uh, that's the best way to know when we have new episodes drop. You can find us on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, or on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, basically anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can find Keeper of the Games right there. Also, you can watch full episodes episodes. If you would like to see our smiling faces, you can check it out on YouTube or Facebook. Also on our website at cogpod.weebly.com. We always post the full video version there, Uh, but you can search for Keeper of the Games on YouTube and Facebook. And of course, you can follow us anytime at cogpod. That's at K-O-G-Pod on Twitter and Instagram. It's been a pretty active week, I would say, on the Cogpod Twitter as we've been posting a lot about a lot of different things. And we're going to start with with the topic that we kicked off the show with last week, but in a little bit of a different perspective because of the decisions that have been made, or should I say the decisions that have been reversed when it comes to USD 259, Wichita Public Schools, reversing their decision on Tuesday at the Board of Education meeting to go ahead and allow fall sports to take place with some restrictions uh, in the city of Wichita for the city league schools and those high school athletes. Weston, you know, we, we've got a lot to unpack about this. Uh, and I don't want to say that it was because of you and I and our show that the Board of Education reversed their decision. But I think it was a lot of voices and we were some of them piling on, asking them to reconsider your initial thoughts on the Board of Education reversing that decision. And now fall sports will be allowed for Wichita Public Schools. Yeah, I mean, just like you kind of said a second ago, I, I don't want to continue to pile on, especially with the things that you and I at length, you know, discussed last podcast, but, you know, I I mean, whether again, whether you think this decision is, was right or wrong, this was the process that needed to happen from the get go. I mean, and it didn't even see, I mean, putting together this COVID task force, they obviously did it in a very quick manner. They were able to provide recommendations in a very quick manner. So, uh, you know, it's just even more, I guess, disappointing that these athletes were put through that really from the beginning when it's such a simple thing that could have been done to resolve this um, from the get go. But 
ultimately, I guess that doesn't matter. Um, you know, getting this, you know, these groups, particularly, I, you know, I, I think about the seniors who may have a last opportunity to really get to go football, volleyball, cross country. Um, you know, I don't know if I'm forgetting any other sports that, that play in the fall, but just so excited that they get the opportunity to compete. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Let's kind of break down what the plan is for Wichita Public Schools for the fall sports season. So students who participate in higher and moderate risk sports like football would have to complete their learning virtually for the entire season and then 14 days after the season ends. So that would mean that like for the the local football teams in the City League, their players more than likely are doing virtual school anyway, at least for the first nine weeks of the, of the school year. So it really doesn't change anything for them, except for the fact that they'll be doing school virtually for the entire season. And then they'll have to, I guess, for lack of a better term, quarantine and continue to do school virtually for two weeks after that. On top of that, so let's kind of break down what those different risk levels for sports are. So higher risk sports include wrestling, football, competitive cheer and dance basically. And I can understand wrestling and football for sure, considering that you're in close contact with, you know, physical contact uh, with other people, moderate risk sports include basketball, volleyball, baseball, or softball, soccer, tennis, swimming, relay and track jump events. Uh, So those that's kind of how the risk factors are broken down. And this, I think is the biggest part about the entire plan is that uh, spectators are not going to be allowed for the regular season fall sports. So I would imagine that that would mean the schools or maybe the league as a whole uh, will come up with ways. And I'm sure a lot of them already have those ways to stream games. uh, So fans and parents and supporters can watch the games online. You know, I mentioned it to you, Weston, last week when we were breaking down, uh, you know, our disappointment with the initial decision by the Board of Education uh, for Wichita. And I even said, I guarantee you that 100% of the parents that, you know, if they were told, okay, we're going to go, we're going to go ahead and be able to have the sports, but fans are not going to be allowed. You're going to have to stay home. I guarantee you all the parents would say that's totally fine. As long as my kid can play the sport they love. And it looks like that's the plan. I can't imagine. I'm sure that there are going to be some parents that are going to be disappointed, but above all are, they're going to be thrilled with the fact that their children are going to be able to play sports. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and again, I think this puts everyone in a position that, you know, as things change and, and and we've talked about this a hundred times, Tommy, with COVID, you know, you never know what the landscape's going to look like in two weeks, four weeks. I mean, I, I, I'm not one that necessarily thinks that, you know, a, a vaccine is a cure-all, end-all, be-all. I mean, there's plenty of, you know, things that go on with that, but we don't know when that, that may come out. And, you know, by any means, let's get them playing, let's get it going. And then, you know, if things change where we can add fans, great. And with that being said, I do think it makes a lot of sense to say, okay, you know, if you guys do want to take the risk of, you know, playing the game of football, we we're not going to put the other students at risk. If if this is something that potentially can create, I don't know, COVID hotspots or clusters, whatever the verbiage they're using, um, I think that makes sense to say, okay, if you want yeah. to do that, you have to learn at home and you have to, you know, because it's, you know, maybe the other other students that don't play sports, they don't feel as comfortable. So that, that makes a a lot of sense. And I think this again was a reasonable decision that could have been reached weeks ago. Yeah. And then that process, you know, that's what we have gone back, you know, gone back to several times is talking about our disappointment um, and our unhappiness with the overall process. And I think that's where a lot of parents were coming from. And a lot of these students were coming from as well. You know, one person that I noticed during this process before Tuesday night, before the advisory committee meeting and the board of education meeting where they reversed the decision, um, you know, this person was present for that on Tuesday, but before then was honestly, I felt like kind of quiet throughout the entire process is the superintendent for Wichita public schools. And that's Dr. Alicia Thompson. Uh, she gave an interview uh, to KWCH after the decision was reversed. Here's her thoughts on what the board of education decided for Wichita. As we get to that point, I would be working with our advisory team on what all of that looks like. And that's the beauty of having some of the experts that we have on our team to be able to help us to be able to process that. So you have that academic look, you have that health look, you marry those two and come up with some ideas and some thoughts that we can bring back to the board. Ultimately, with the six to one vote, 
so anyway, I cut, cut off a little bit long there, but um, you know, ultimately the the whole thought process from Dr. Thompson is the fact that you know I, I think it's something, and I don't want to belabor the fact that we're thrilled that this decision has been reversed, but at the same time, these are things that should have been put into place to begin with. You you know, let's have a plan to be able to try to get through the fall sports season and then be able to think about okay, how does this impact academically these students? How does it app, you know impact the health of these students in the community? You know, the, these are plans and, and I almost feel like, and I don't know if this was the case, but I almost feel like the board and the school district and the administration didn't have any sort of clear plan, hadn't thought about any sort of clear plan and kind of thought, well, I guess the best thing we can do is just cancel because we don't really know exactly what we are going to do. And they took this time from when they made that decision to try to figure it out. And I think this all could have been avoided if the if the school district had been a little bit more proactive in figuring out the safest and best way to make this happen. Yeah, you know, and something you and I have echoed really uh, since we've started this podcast in February, I don't envy being in a position to to make these decisions. You've you've said the same thing, but with that being said, when you are in a position to make these decisions, you have to do your job and go ab- about it the right way. You know, I, I feel for you if you have to make a tough decision, but when you basically, you know, it felt like to a lot of people, there were cop-out decisions made. There was no effort to even, like you just said, put, you know, figure it out. That's not going to fly, you know, and and that's kind of really what it felt like playing here. Um, and obviously we, we've have kind of beat beat the dead horse on you know our thought process on the uh, on the process that was put forth and how we were disappointed in that and this could be done weeks ago but I, so now I'm kind of excited to see you know what does it look like moving forward and I think uh, one of the uh, my old former defensive line coach at Andale who is now the defensive coordinator at Northwest 22 hours ago so this was shortly after the decision came down from the from the school board he had this tweet. About to have the greatest Wednesday practice ever. I can't imagine that feeling for those guys being able to get on the field. It actually kind of gave me chill chills seeing that, thinking about, you know, if I was in that position being able to get out with the guys on a Wednesday after being able to to be back to the sport that you love. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so practices resumed pretty much immediately, you know, after this decision was, uh, you know, reversed and not only football teams, but volleyball teams and, you know, basically any fall sports team, um, you have the ability to go back to practice. Now, do you think that the fact that, you know, this decision was made, I believe it was on August 20th, I want to say is when the, the initial decision was actually put into place. You know, it's now September 3rd, the, the city league has lost about two weeks of practice time to get ready for the fall season. Do you see that impacting anything, especially when you're talking about, you know, programs that are suburban programs that the city league teams will, will be playing throughout the season, like your derbies and your, your Andales and Andover and, you know, these other schools that have been practicing this entire time are, is, are the city league schools at a disadvantage because of that? Well, I guess here's my question. Have you seen that the city league is going to be back to their regular schedule? I would assume at this point, any and all games they've lost, probably don't get back on the schedule, right? I mean, for oh, that's true. That's a good point. Like Bishop Carroll, I know Capen, um, have, they've re, you know, reloaded an entire schedule. And I don't, I guess I don't know about like the derbies that, you know, some of those schools that come in often and play the city league, if they've already filled that spot, I'm assuming that the city league is just going to lose those games. And I don't know if they might, might, um, I, I would think if it was me, I would kind of want to be able to refill that, even if it meant, you know, East playing Southeast twice, you still want to get right. your, your, your normal schedule in if you can. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. If they're playing anybody who's been practicing for weeks, I think that is a disadvantage. I will say, I think it's more a disadvantage for early in the season um, than it does because really once the season really kind of gets going, you kind of get in a groove and, and, and you find those strides and those sort of things. Um, and your your game planning for a specific week and those kind of things. So it, I think it becomes less of a disadvantage the further into the season you get, which kind of sounds like an obvious statement. But early on, if there if there, any of those games do get rescheduled, I do think that that would be a big disadvantage. Um, and then the only other thing I'll add is I, as far as getting a a high school body in shape to play, I don't think that's as much a concern at you know 
15, 16, 17, 18 years old, you know, you can, you can get whipped into shape pretty quick. So I think from that standpoint, and a lot of those guys were probably and girls were probably continuing to, to do some training and those sort of things to stay in shape anyways. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about the fact that before this decision was even made, there was the announcement that City League teams would only be playing other City League teams this season. I don't know if that's exactly the case. Um, you know, I, I haven't, I've not seen any kind of schedule. So, you know, officially, so we'll we have to keep our eyes open for that. My final question before we move away from this topic, obviously we're, you know, we're celebrating along with the rest of the coaches and the players and the parents and the fans that wanted to see you know, you know, the kids get back on the field and there are going to be some that are going to say, you know, they're going to vilify the school board for going back on their decision being wishy-washy. They're going to say, you know, you're prioritizing athletics over education. I think that we blew holes in that argument quite a bit a week ago. My final question though, for you is something that you touched on last week. And I'd like to know if you want to expound on it or if you have any further thoughts on it is your comment and your opinion that you made about the probably the most disappointing thing for you was knowing that these students have been told forever that they have a voice and to speak up and it didn't seem like it got them anywhere where clear, clearly it did. So, you know, I would imagine that your opinion on that has changed. How, how um, exciting is it for these, you know, kids to know that their 15, 16, 17, 18 year old voices actually did make a difference and, and they fought for their season and they got it back. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and I will say this too. Too. I mean, from everything that I've read, seen, um, just the just the feel you get from the whole situation, I, I flat out do not think any of this happens if it wasn't the players themselves who actively went out and you know, and I'll use the word protest, but you know, brought attention to the fact that they felt like they should be playing. I truly don't think if it was just the parents or just some coaches that made the noise. I think the school board finds it a lot easier to just brush it off, you know? And so the fact that these players did that, I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. I think it's a win um, really for the growth and maturity of these kids in, in, in the U, in USC 259, you know, and that's, I don't know, that may be corny to say, but I truly do think this is going to be a long lasting impact on their lives going through this process and realizing that, you know, they can speak up for themselves and they, and that it can bring change. Yeah, without a doubt, you know, congratulations to these players for using their voice, for standing up for what they believe in, you know, and for impacting change. And I think, you know, if they were able to succeed with something like this, you know, for their sports season, think about, you know, how motivated they'll be in the future to stand up for what they think is right on an even greater scale. So, you know, congratulations to them. I know there are people out there that disagree with the decision. I know there are people out there that say sports are not that important, but you know, uh, I think in this regard from this podcast, and I, I think I speak for both of us when I say we are 1000% on board and thrilled for these students to be able to at least have an opportunity uh, to play their fall sports season. Absolutely. That's that's pretty exciting. Absolutely. All right, we're going to go ahead and get into Kansas City Chiefs football. Now, like we mentioned at the very top of the program, the Chiefs are back in action one week from Thursday night as they take on the Houston Texans in the NFL kickoff game. Weston, I know you've been chomping at the bit to talk about the Chiefs, especially now that we are just one week away from the Chiefs defending their their Super Bowl championship from back in February. Before we talk about what is on the horizon seven days from now, let's talk about some of the things that have just happened for the Chiefs, including Kansas City getting their Super Bowl rings, which, by the way, they look absolutely incredible, don't you think? Oh boy, my goodness. I mean, you know, every Super Bowl ring that comes through, uh, you know, they always look impressive, but some of the small details, I don't know if, if, and we can tweet it out or actually I, I did tweet it out from our Keeper of the Games account, that picture that the Chiefs posted specifically pointing out, okay, here's the diamonds on this part. This is what they represent. Yeah. I love that they explain what everything meant and a couple of the things that really caught my eye. I love that they included on the very bottom of one of the side of the rings, the 142.2, the decibels, kind of a little nod to the fan saying, hey, you helped us yeah. get here. We're including you in this ring. Same with, um, on the, I think then it is just on the other side of the ring, they act, you know, it's inscribed with Chiefs Kingdom. And again, just a shout out to the fans. And, and you know, it makes you, I mean, it's it, 
sports are kind of a funny thing, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, those guys are, they all are, are the ones that went out and played and did everything, but you as a fan, you feel such a part of it to, to guys that you don't know that are strangers to coaches and GMs and, and all that. It's just so goofy, but to then see it when your team wins and actually be acknowledged as a, a part of the process is just absolutely fantastic. And I think the chiefs organization right now, um, is being recognized as you know being one of the best in the way in the way they're going about their business, um, and this is just another little thing that I think the Chiefs organization just got right. Yeah, we, I mean, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we were you know discussing the appeal of players wanting to come to Kansas City. Obviously, a Super Bowl ring is going to do that to a guy. It's going to want them to come to Kansas City and play for them. But it's also the culture, and you know, I think it was. I think you were talking about a couple of weeks ago about how you know for the longest time it was the Patriots, you know, and people wanted to play for Bill Belichick, and uh, they wanted to be a part of the Patriot way and that culture and all of that. I would argue, and I know I'm biased because I'm here locally. But I would argue that the Chiefs culture now is the premier culture in the National Football League, even above what Bill Belichick has done uh, in New England. Now, obviously, you can't deny what the Patriots have done, you know, over the last 20 plus years. But there was never this kind of excitement at an organizational level as, you know, what is happening now for Kansas City. You never saw, you know, the 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 pomp and circumstance in New England like you are seeing in Kansas City. So I don't know if that necessarily means that I don't know if that that by itself makes the culture better in Kansas City than in New England. But New England has been the gold standard for almost two decades. I would argue that the Chiefs have either matched it or they have exceeded it at this point. And I would I would say that, you know, more excellence in the years to come, they will absolutely leapfrog where New England has been. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think the kind of the slight difference that I'm trying to draw attention to is, I mean, the Chiefs, they've got a lot of winning left to do to be, to be associated on a winning level with matching the Patriots, the Steelers, the 49ers, the, you know, some of the historic franchises in the NFL. But what they're doing right now from a I don't know what word I want to use, but just from a um, media attention and um, good, you know, <laughs> uh, getting good reviews and those sort of things, just on a the way they're going about their business standpoint is through the roof. You know, I mean, there's just time after time example of the Chiefs handling things the right way. They're building a culture which people want to be a part of. Whether you want to be a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs or people want to come in and play for this organization because the way they're going about their business more so than just winning. I mean, obviously you can't get a reputation without winning, but they're doing those off field things as well. Those small little details that make people just really want to be a part of the Kansas city chiefs organization right now. It wasn't that long ago that the chiefs were the pariah of the league, that nobody wanted to be a part of that organization. They couldn't get free agents. You know, people were, you know, players were leaving the team. They couldn't get a high caliber head coach. You know, I, I remember going to a game. We might've talked about this before in, I think it was 2012. And, you know, people were wearing bags over their heads in, in Arrowhead. And, you know, it was when Scott Pioli was still the GM and people were flying planes above that said fire Pioli. And, you know, it was just, it was a terrible, uh, terrible time for the chiefs and to see where the franchise has moved from then to now is just incredible. And, you know, the one guy, I mean, obviously I'm thrilled for all the players for Andy Reed to finally get his long awaited Super Bowl ring, which is just awesome. But the one guy, and it, I'm biased because I, you know, I will freely admit, unlike you, that I'm in the media. But the one guy that I was more ha more happy than anybody else to see was Mitch Holthus get yeah. his ring. Um, you know, you want to talk about the media exposure for Kansas City. You know, it, a premier organization has a premier play-by-play -play guy. There, he's the best in the business. There's nobody better than him. And that's not just from me saying that as a fan. That's from me saying that as someone who has worked in broadcasting for nearly 20 years that there's nobody that calls football games at the NFL level better than Mitch Holtis. And the fact that he has went through years and years of whether it's mediocrity or terrible football and got his Super Bowl ring uh, and, and seeing the video of that and watching him put it on, that made me as a broadcaster happier than I think anybody else. 
Right. I mean, outside of Clark Hunt, I don't think there's anybody that's been in that organization longer than Mitch Holtis. So, I mean, yeah. and if you're a Chiefs fan, I mean, touchdown Kansas City will, I mean, that is that is the yell. That's the chant. That's, you know, every Chiefs fan knows that. So I absolutely echo that. I mean, that's been, that's fantastic for him. But uh, what, and while we're on the, I guess, while we're kind of talking about the rings, I know we kind of got off that a little bit, but uh, did you see, that uh, the Kansas City Chiefs weren't the only one to get a ring at there at Arrowhead Stadium. I did, and it's kind of funny because I was so focused on the team getting their rings uh, that I didn't even know anything else was going on. It was my wife, because clearly my wife is going to know those things before I do. It was like, oh my God, Brittany and Patrick got engaged. And when she first said that, I'm like, who are Brittany and Patrick? Like, I, she's on, like, she feels like she's on a first name basis with them. And like, I don't even know who that is. And she's like, oh my God, Brittany Matthews and Patrick Mahomes. And I'm like, oh, I did, had no idea that he proposed. Um, as, you know, as much as uh, the, the Chiefs ring is you know, pretty incredible. Uh, Pat's got a lot of money to drop on an engagement ring to Brittany. And uh, th- I think the guy did pretty well. Yeah. I'd be curious to know which, uh, which ring is more expensive. I would imagine that uh, that ring of Brittany's is probably worth a dollar oh. or two. I would imagine for the $500 million from the $500 million quarterback. You know, for a fact that, cause I would, I'd be the same way. And I'm sure you would too. You know, we're both married. Um, if, if we were, if we were Patrick Mahomes, we would find out exactly how much that Super Bowl ring is worth. And then we'd make sure whatever engagement ring we got was worth more than that. There's have, no way that I can wear a ring that's pricier than the engagement ring for my fiance. No way. It makes me think of, uh, I don't know if we got any office fans out there, but when, uh, Michael Scott finally proposes to Holly and he opens the ring and Pam goes, holy and cusses. And he goes, right. he goes, what? They say three years salary, right? <laughs> right. Right. No, I thought you were going to bring up the the time when uh, Jim was going to propose to Pam, but then Andy proposed to Angela instead. Uh-huh. Kind of like, you know, the Chiefs are getting their Super Bowl ring. Oh, but by the way, Patrick uh-huh. is also going to be proposing to Brittany. But uh, no, very happy for them. I love the fact that we threw in two references to the office right there. But uh, <laughs> but no, a huge congratulations goes out to Patrick and Brittany. And um, you never know, maybe you and I will get an invite to the wedding. I'm really hoping. I mean, I I do think it's pretty cool, though, for a guy that is now worth so much money. I mean, he's marrying a girl that he dated since high school. Like it just kind of it just is very fitting for Patrick Mahomes. It's just, I don't know, fitting with his very down to earth, you know, relatable personality. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, very happy for for the both of them. And, you know, it, it, there is not um, I, we talked about it before on this program that while 2020 has been a crappy year for everybody, it's not been a bad year for Patrick Mahomes. He's had yeah. uh, a pretty incredible uh, 2020 for sure. Uh, some more Chiefs news before we actually talk about what things are going to look like for Kansas City as they take the field in one week against the Texans. And this goes back to the what we were just talking about with the culture of the Chiefs and that organizational stability. The Chiefs have signed Andy Reid and Brett Veach to extensions through the year 2025. Um, that's I I don't think that that can be overstated that you've got your Super Bowl winning head coach and general manager locked up along with the key pieces of this team for several years down the line. It means that the Chiefs are fully 100% committed and dedicated uh, to making sure that there is as much stability as possible over the next six or seven years. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. I mean, I mean, I don't know as a Chiefs fan what more you, you could ask for. I mean, obviously – you start to wonder if, you know, it was a five-year – well, I don't know if it's official official yet, right? I mean, I know it broke, but Andy Reid was asked about it, and I don't think he said um, – he's basically just kind of brushed it off and right. ignored yeah. – Right. Apparently the groundwork has been laid, you know, for those contracts, but I, I guess I did misspeak that they haven't officially signed them uh, right. to my knowledge, but they are working on it. It does look like uh, that those are two things that are going to get done. Right. But, you know, and you do wonder though, if that would be maybe possibly the end of Andy Reid, if that's kind of his last five years, you know, he's a little up there in age. I mean, he certainly strikes me as the guy that would literally coach till he physically cannot coach anymore. Um, but you know, kind of starting to set that up and, but, but to think that you're going to have another, uh, you know, basically through 2025 have Patrick Mahomes 
Brett Veach and Andy Reid masterminding things moving forward, you have to be very hopeful about the possibility of more Super Bowls to come. Yeah, exactly. So we'll keep our eyes out to see when that uh, absolute, you know, actually becomes uh, official signings for both Andy Reid and uh, and Brett Veach. But again, definitely adds to that organizational stability that should continue to make Kansas City a draw uh, for the most premier players to come and play for the Chiefs. Let's shift our eyes to a week from now when Kansas City will take the field for the NFL opening night kickoff game against the Houston Texans. One small concern, and maybe it's small maybe it's a little bit bigger I don't know I'll get your thoughts on it here in a second one concern for Kansas City in that game is what the offensive line is going to look like Austin Ryder apparently uh, set out the practice on Friday with a knee injury for Kansas City Um, you know there have been questions a little bit about that offensive line coming into the season you know Austin Ryder was the starting center for the majority of last season Um, you know so the question is, how big of a blow is it to the Chiefs if it is something that is significant for Austin Ryder that does keep him out, at least for week one and maybe even further? You know, he was a guy that I actually did not think performed overly well last year. So from a, I don't know, m- most valuable offensive line perspective, you know, I don't know if his skill is, is the, you know, the best, but center is a position that is very hard to replace just on the whim. And and the center does anchor that offensive line and really, uh, you know, sets the, 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 the pass protection, the, you know, the zone blocking scheme, those sort of things run through the center. So continuity of having someone familiar and who knows the system is important. Um, Now I do know, you know, they did sign Daniel Kilgore, who is um, a veteran, but not obviously been with the chiefs. So while he's a veteran and knows how to handle the position, you don't really love the fact that he doesn't have a whole lot of continuity with those guys. Um, I would be, curious to see if if he can't go if maybe they consider playing Nick Algaretti who was there last year um you know and he kind of he kind of swings through the interior but at least has been in the system um so that's kind of where you where you could go I know that but they they also have some questions about the interior right now obviously LDT uh opted out of the season so they've got uh Kelechi Osmele 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 Probably my version's not uh, not preferred, definitely not. But then and then uh, Mike Rimmers, who I actually, you know, he's kind of one of those guys that they signed to play you know, really any and all positions they need. Probably with the exception of center, you can probably play both tackles and can play both guards. Guy with a lot of experience played in Carolina last year. I certainly expect him to start, and I think you know if Kalichi Osimile and Mike Rimmers are at left and right guard, then that gives you the freedom to play Nick Algaretti at center if Ryder can't go. Um, but I do think, I mean, I think if you look at this team, I think corner and offensive line are the two interior offensive line anyways, are the two biggest question marks. So that is something to keep an eye out on and, and hopefully that uh, Ryder is good to go. Well, and the bad thing too is that Kalechi Osimile, he's questionable also for yeah. the opening game due to an injured neck. So, you know, there could be a, a situation where both Osimile and Ryder are out for that game. We don't know that as of this point. There's still a ways to go, you know, before those decisions will be made. But uh, I do agree with you. Some question marks there on offensive line, uh, question marks defensively as well as you've got, you know, Bashad Breeland serving a suspension, Mike Pinnell serving a suspension. You know, I think the skill players are pretty well set. Although one question is, uh, you know, what percent do you think Tyreek Hill is going into this first game of the season on Thursday? I think he's a hundred percent. I really do. I, from what I've, I, you know, I think a lot of his, um, time that he set out of practice so far this, this off season has been, well, I shouldn't say off season, I guess preseason, um, I think is a lot precautionary. I think with a guy who's been in the system so long now, you know, has such great chemistry with Pat, there's just no reason. And it, you know, it was a hamstring issue that popped up. So it's one of those things that there's just no reason to push it with a guy that doesn't really need the reps with Pat anyways. 
On next week's show, we will, uh, of course, break down everything that you need to know about the Chiefs opening game against the Texans, because when that show drops, it'll just be hours until uh, kickoff for that first game. So um, that mo- unless something crazy happens, I would imagine that'll be our top story for next week's program as we sort of break down what to expect as the Chiefs open up their season against the Houston Texans. Let's get in and talk some Kansas City Royals baseball right now here on Keeper of the Games. More of the same for Kansas City, up and down, actually probably more down, I would say, uh, over the last week than up. There have been a couple of bright spots, I guess, uh, but uh, more often than not, it's not been a great week uh, for Kansas City. We're going to talk about some of the bright spots and some of the not so bright spots here in just a moment uh, about the Royals over the last seven days. But first, let's talk about the trade deadline, which came and passed just a couple of days ago for Kansas City. So The Royals were relatively quiet on the actual trade deadline day. However, they did make a couple of deals from the time that we recorded our last show to now. The biggest one is a guy that we talked about uh, quite a bit on this program last week, and that's Trevor Rosenthal being dealt to the San Diego Padres on Saturday for 24-year-old outfielder Edward uh, Olivares. Uh, and a player to be named later. Uh, So that trade has been done. They were able to get some value out of Trevor Rosenthal, who, of course, has had a a bounce-back season for Kansas City. Were you surprised at all that the Royals actually ended up deciding to deal Trevor Rosenthal, even though he did basically declare that he would love to stay in Kansas City? No, you know, I I I think it's just a move that they had to make. I mean, like we talked about, I mean, yes, there's a possibility they could sneak in but as they've been losing more games the less and less likely that they're going to be able to make the playoffs you got to trade the assets you have that are going to need a new contract and and i I, i've still heard mention of trevin rosenthal being very well welcome back after the end of this season you know if he wants to come back and sign in kansas city in the in the offseason he's can do that but uh, i think to be able to get any type of assets in return especially in a year where the trade market was was kind of weird kind of different uh, you know, the Padres were the only ones that made a, a real big splash. And even they, the, the assets they unloaded were in exchange for people that still had club control. There wasn't a lot of a market for rental players like um, Trevor Rosenthal was. So uh, good to see that we could get a return. And and I think this Edward Olivares, you know, he's he's young. We've got some club control. He's 24 out of Venezuela uh, 6'2", 185, right-handed center fielder. Uh, he's got some got some speed on him. He stole, let's see, 98 bases. Nope, sorry. Oh, 98. 35 bases uh, <laughs> last year in Amar- Amarillo, which was double A. Hit 280, 283 um, with 18 home runs. So a little bit of speed, a little bit of power, kind of a, a, a multi-tool player. A lot of times that center field position can be that way. Um, so intriguing, intriguing young prospect that they got in return. Yeah, and he's been ranked fairly highly among the Padres farm system players, and so you know um, he he could he could certainly be a player that ends up you know making it to the big leagues with Kansas City. Uh, just another tool in that deep farm system uh, that Kansas City has. I've seen a lot of people on social media, you know, and online uh, that when the trade deadline came and went and Whit Merrifield wasn't moved, a lot of people were saying that the Royals really missed an opportunity to try to get a good amount of value back for a guy like Whit Merrifield. I know on this program last week, I said the Royals should trade him. You basically said you didn't think that they could go wrong either way. Now that the trade le- trade deadline is has come and gone, do you stand by that or do you think the Royals missed an opportunity? Well, I'm going to kind of not answer your question and kind of more focus on the guy. You're not going to answer my question. Well, you know, here's what here's the thing that I think is goofy. The, the folks that kind of speak up and say, oh, they missed an opportunity to to get value back and trade with Merrifield. Well, yeah, that's great. But if the trade market's not there, if you got six offers and then we're all for a prospect and a half for Whit Merrifield – you're not going to trade him just to trade him. That doesn't do any good. And really what we saw out of this trade market is nobody, you know, was making any type big type splashy moves other than the Padres who just traded for a high quantity of players, not necessarily any big names were dealt. So, you know, you definitely don't trade him just to, to get a few guys back. If you're going to trade him, you expect the house. And if no one was offering that, then there's no reason to trade him. It's just that simple. Well, 
I don't know. I, di- I disagree with you in that regard. You know, Mike Clevenger went to the Padres. That's a big trade. You know, Mitch Moreland went to the Padres. He's not a, a huge trade guy, but that was value. You know, the Padres were by far the most active team at, at the trade deadline. But there are some teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees that didn't do a whole lot that I think they they might have if Whit Merrifield had been offered to them. It, it, I don't. I don't. Necess- I think you're approaching this from a teams were offering it wasn't what the Royals wanted. It could have very well been the Royals weren't offering him, so nobody offered. You know, and or maybe they were saying, "Look, like we'll only trade him for you know a huge return back to us," which I think that they they you know are entitled to a good amount of value for Whit Merrifield. But part of me wonders if the Royals may, you know, maybe priced out the market, you know, and, and nobody was able to come back with what they wanted for Whit Merrifield. So, you know, I don't know if it's a situation where the teams weren't offering what the Royals deserved or if their expectations were too high, but either way, Whit Merrifield wasn't moved. And I do think that the Royals missed an opportunity to try to get good value back from Whit Merrifield this season. The only thing I'll say though is, first of all, Mitch Moreland is not Whit Merrifield. That's you know that's not the same kind of return you're going to get. Now Mike Clevenger is, but Mike Clevenger was no longer welcome in Cleveland after his mishaps with uh, I can't remember what was the other pitcher's name that they were. Uh, Zach Zach Plesac. That's right. He was no longer welcome in Cleveland, and that that had that course had been written and they, he was, he was out of there. So kind of a different situation there, but I mean, and you're right, you know, I mean, I I guess I will agree with you if that's how it played out. I mean, I think certainly the Royals should have, you know, fielded offers or, you know, seen what they could get in and isn't necessarily a, a, Hey, we need the world for wit. Um, But if the price isn't there, you're not going to make a deal. And I, you know, that just seems to me like what the market was like. And, and, you know, I, that, that is kind of my read on the situation. So when we did our program last week, I believe the Royals, their record stood at 12 and 18. And I was a big advocate that, you know, the, the Royals need to just go ahead and sell. They need to be sellers at the trade deadline. Um, even with expanded playoffs, even with the fact that they weren't showing any sort of signs that they could go on a late season run, you know, and make the playoffs. Well, with the trade deadline coming on and the next seven days after that, the Royals now stand at 14 and 22. So, you know, their winning percentage is even worse than it was a week ago. We talked about this a few weeks ago on the program um, about, you know, even when the Royals had a losing record by a few games that they weren't totally out of it. It wasn't time to close the door on the 2020 season. You know, they're eight games out of first place in the American League Central right now with a very short season. It's got to be time to close the door on the 2020 season now at 14 and 22, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of a different approach. I mean, yeah, I don't I, I don't think expectations should be a playoff, you know, a run to the playoffs. Um, but with that being said, I think maybe the focus more now here on the, the focus here from here on out is more on building momentum for next season, you know, and, and with that being said, what you want to do is you want to go out and play good baseball. You want to win games. Um, you know, that is a goal, but I, I think the expectations are different now. And, and this is kind of a different season a little bit too, because normally what that means is build momentum with the players of the future. Well, they're already really playing all the players of the future. There isn't a whole lot of guys that are in the minors, which isn't really going on. Um, you know, that, that is the future of the team that aren't getting reps. So they're kind of doing that. So really, I think it's just to continue out and go, you know, go play good baseball, really work on some individual growth amongst the, the younger guys. And that's really the focus now, I think, moving forward. Well, and I will touch on what you just said and expound on that just a little bit about, you know, by by improving their momentum with players of the future, the best way to do that is to get a haul of players for the future back at the trade deadline and trade guys like Whit Merrifield. Like that's that, that's but what teams usually not, do. Not if it's not there, Tommy. I, I get what you're saying, but it very well 
could have been there, I guess is my only point. And maybe the Royals didn't want to pursue it. At any rate, Whit Merrifield is still a Royal. The Royals are still 14 and 22 right now uh, on the season. There are some bright spots for Kansas City. Uh, Brad Keller um, has been by far the ace of this rotation for Kansas City. He's three and one with an ERA under two in the five starts that he's made this season, uh, which is by far the best that the Royals rotation has. They've got some other young guns in that rotation, but how impressed have you been with Brad Keller this season for Kansas City? I, you know, incredibly pre- impressed. You know, we've seen um, moments of brilliance from him in the in the you know last year. But just not the consistency. And, you know, he's young, so that's what you expected. Like I've talked time and time again on this podcast about some of the other guys. Um, But very impressed. And I think the conversation we had a few weeks ago was, is Brad Keller a part of the future of this rotation with so many arms? And I think he is clearly establishing, like not not only like you said, not is he just a part of this rotation, but potentially the ace of this staff moving forward, which just – strengthens that group even more. I mean, Kansas City has a lot of great young arms that they're working. We've seen Brady Singer. We've seen Chris Bubik. You know, we haven't seen Jackson Kowar yet. I mean, we've seen – we've got guys that are ready. The growth is there. And to be able to anchor it with with Brad Keller would be fantastic. It just shortens the amount of guys that you need to take that next step to being elite pitchers. So we talked about the good. That's Brad Keller for sure. Excuse me, for sure. Uh, But let's talk about the bad now for the pitching staff also. I'm getting choked up just thinking about how bad Matt Harvey has been for Kansas City in his first three starts for the Royals. Is there any hope for Matt Harvey or is his time in Kansas City pretty close to nearing an end? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I don't think I could have been any more wrong. And I don't admit that very often, Tommy, you know that, but I couldn't have been any more wrong about Matt Harvey. Not that, not that I came on here and said, I think he's going to be some sort of ace, but I certainly thought that at a minimum, he was going to be a, you know, an inning eater for, for this staff. He's not even doing that. I mean, I, I think you got to pull the plug on, on this, the Matt Harvey experience, pretty quickly, especially now that, you know, the one, the trade deadline's gone. So I don't know if you wanted to try to dance around a couple games where someone might bite on him, that's gone. Uh, you know, now you're getting into a, a part of the season where you don't think you're going to make a run for the playoffs. So you might as well get some young arms that the innings there, unless you're just trying to, you know, manipulate service time and those things. You don't want to call up a younger guy, but you're going to, you know, you're getting guys back healthy too. So you're probably not even going to have to do that. I think as you know, Jacob Junis, Jesse Hahn is is really available. They could stretch him out in this, into the starting role. I think Matt Harvey's done in Kansas City. Well, let's break down what his stats look like for the Royals in the three starts that he's had. He's got an ERA of fifteen forty three. Not good. That's twelve. That's twelve earned runs in seven innings. That's over three starts. And then the most recent game was on Tuesday night when they played the Cleveland Indians and he was hammered for five runs and three homers while recording only four outs and the Royals lost that game uh, 10 to one. I agree with you, you know, Matt Harvey, I think there was some excitement there that maybe there could be flashes of his old self, you know, from time to time, clearly that's not been the case. And there are guys on that pitching staff, you know, like Brady Singer and Brad Keller and even Jacob Junis, you know, that, definitely can come up and they can they can take innings away and you know while some of these guys like Jacob Junis and Jesse Hahn and some others aren't all-star caliber pitchers they're also not going to give up 12 earned runs in 7 innings either so you know for some stability and to get some innings with these young guys I think it's definitely the right move to basically say, all right, let's pull the plug on this Matt Har- on Matt Harvey experience for KC. The other bad for the Royals that I just want to touch on is what's wrong with Adalberto Mondesi? What's wrong with Mondi? Um, you know, he uh, is in a 0 for 17 slump right now and is batting only 186 at the plate. He was even taken out of the lineup, um, you know, the other day because of his slump. This is something that we talked about from the beginning of the season to now that something just isn't clicking for Mondi right now. Um, is now the time to panic for Mondesi? I know we had this exact same conversation a few weeks ago and that the answer was, well, who are you going to replace him with? Um, but have things changed considering that he's really hurting the Royals every time he's in the starting lineup? 
Uh, no, I mean, it, well, for, you know, and yes, his bat has been abysmal. Um, he's still playing all-star level caliber defense, which is not, I mean, that's not good enough, you know, for what, what, what the Royals need. Um, but he's still playing all-star caliber defense. And look, here's the unfortunate thing. You know, I mean, he's still young. It's a short season. There just isn't, isn't, and wasn't time for him to grow through this. Now, obviously this is a little bit worse than your typical slumps that every MLB player goes through, but he's still young. Doesn't have a lot of major league experience. You know, I mean, we saw great flashes last year, but he got hurt, you know, and didn't play a whole lot of games last year. So really when you think about, you can think about the amount of years he's been with the organization, but really when you just think of the actual number of games he's got to play, you know, as a big leaguer, he's still got a lot of growing to do. He's so young. Um, I, I think if the Royals were more competitive, I think it would be to a point where you start thinking about playing someone more often in his spot, you know, whether that's sliding Nicky Lopez over or, um, you know, I, I don't know what other options they might have with maybe, uh, playing short would be a possibility, but because they're now in a position where they're out, I think you definitely want Monty to grow through this. You want, I mean, yes, you're going to sit him down just to give him a breather, but you got to let him grind through this. And that's the only way I think he's going to grow. Well, hopefully in the weeks to come, we'll have more positive things to say about the Royals than negative. But today uh, wasn't one of those days as the Royals set in the cellar of the American League Central. We're going to transition very briefly into college football and, and specifically Big 12 football, which is returning in just a couple of weeks from now. In fact, the openers have been set for both the Jayhawks and the Wildcats on September 12th, which is just you know less than two weeks from now. Uh, now, one in interesting thing about the Jayhawks. It was announced a couple of days ago. No fans will be allowed in David Booth Memorial Stadium uh, for the Jayhawks opener. I know there are multiple jokes all around social media about how there are no fans anyway, so it really wouldn't matter if there are no fans allowed in the stands. We're not going to go there, um, but uh, but that's definitely that announcement was made. The hope is that eventually there will be fans allowed um, at Memorial Stadium. Same thing with the Wildcats. No fans, uh, I believe, isn't that right? Or maybe 25% fan yeah, attendance so. uh, for the Wildcats, uh, you know, beginning uh, with, with their opener as well. But both of those games are set uh, on the 12th. The Wildcats will play Central Arkansas, I believe is who they play on the 12th and kickoff for that game is at 2.30 in the afternoon. This is the interesting thing, Weston. KU, uh, they kick off their season at home against Coastal Carolina on the 12th. It's a 9 p.m. kickoff and it's going to be nationally televised on FS1. Will you be tuning in and staying up late to watch the Jayhawks play Coastal Carolina? You betcha. I mean, that's that's an all-day worth of football. I think that's obviously, I mean, you're not featuring Kansas ever, but when you want to be able to create a full lineup of, of football to be watched, someone's got to get the 9 o'clock spot, and I think is if you're a Kansas fan, you just got to be happy it's nationally televised. Um, quick side note, though, uh, or correction, Kansas State actually opens up with Arkansas State, not Central Arkansas. State. Arkansas okay, so sorry. Arkansas. I knew it was an Arkansas. Yeah, I knew it was an Arkansas school. Yeah, no, you're about as close as anyone could get on that. So yeah, no, but excited, excited for that game. Excited for the national televised. I'll be watching both of those games. Really, just looking forward to, you know, a full day of college football as a whole. That just sounds fantastic. Knowing that we almost didn't have it. So one year ago, I was at David Booth Memorial Stadium when the Jayhawks played. Coastal Carolina at home. Now, if you'll remember, I don't know if you have a photographic memory about all of the Jayhawks losses, you know, over the last several years or not, but that game, the Jayhawks lost to Coastal Carolina and the final score was 12 to seven. That was the worst football game I have ever watched in person ever, ever. I've seen a lot of bad football. I grew up in Clearwater when we won three games in four years. I I went to Southwestern, nothing against the mound builders. <laughs> we lost a lot of games. I have never seen that bad of a football game be played between two teams than last season's Coastal Carolina and Kansas game. And now you're telling me that that game is going to be nationally televised 
prime time for the West Coast. There aren't going to be really a lot of other games on. So the whole you know state of California is probably going to be watching this particular game from Lawrence, and they're going to get stuck with Coastal Carolina taking on the Jayhawks. Well, like, like you said, there's just not a lot of options. So, I mean, that that kind of is the way it's falling. But, I mean, heck, even a, a 12 to 7 game, that's, you know, that's competitive. You know, I mean, at least it's not a blowout. You know, if you're going to get to you, you, what you want is a game that you have to pay attention for four quarters. Now, maybe the actual get football that's being played isn't of high quality, but at least it's close come the fourth quarter and fans are tuning in for the whole thing, hopefully. So maybe that's the thought process. You're definitely more glass half full than I am. I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm more glass half empty. That's the that's the case for sure. We'll break down more of the openers for both KU and K-State next week on the Cog Pod. Let's get into our Wichita whip around right now. We're going to get back to the topic that we kicked off the program with, talking about Wichita high school football. So Varsity Kansas, which is affiliated with the Wichita Eagle, they put together the preseason Wichita high school football rankings. Uh, and, and that's been put out considering the fact that now, uh, you know, fall sports are back for the City League. Now we're not talking about just city league we're talking about wichita area schools as they rank you know from 25 to 1 we're, we don't have time to go over all of the rankings that hayden barber put together for this but we'll maybe talk about the top five or so uh that according to his rankings with varsity kansas uh that he's looking at so uh, if i can pull that up here so it looks like number five we'll count them down and i want to get your thoughts on them number five the maze eagles maze uh finished the season last year 10 and 2 they were state semifinalists. Uh, they're coming off back-to-back 5A semifinals. Uh, you know, so they come in at number five. Any objections with that? Uh, no, I mean, you know, they're they're always put pretty pretty high quality on the, on the field. So they are number five. Number four is Bishop Carroll. Uh, they come in at number four. So they finished last year eight and three. They were state quarter finalists. Their top returning player is Aiden Meadens, who is the senior quarterback for the Golden Eagles, you know, one advantage Bishop Carroll is going to have, uh, you know, over City League teams, we talked about it earlier, is the fact that they never really shut down. They've been practicing throughout, you know, the entire shutdown and everything that the City League has. Uh, so they break into the top five. And, you know, I always look at their rivalry with Cape of Mount Carmel. I didn't realize this until uh, just the other day. Somebody told me that Bishop Carroll has beaten Cape in every year since like 1999. We're talking 20 years of Bishop Carroll's dominance over Cape in. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me one bit that they come in at number four. No, Bishop Carroll, perennial powerhouse. They uh, they do have a tough schedule that they refilled, though, and I don't have it in front of me, but I know they're uh, on their schedule is two uh, former state cha- or past state champions. I know they play both of them. They play Lawrence High. They play Lawrence Free State. Um, and I want to say they play Bishop Miege. Uh, they've got a t- yeah. schedule this year. Doesn't make them any less of a you know quality team, but they're going to have to earn it. That's for sure. So you had very little to say about Mays, a little bit more to say about Bishop Carroll. I would imagine you have a lot to say about the number three team. It's your alma mater, Andale, comes in at number three in these rankings. Andale finished 2019 13-0, undefeated. Uh, they were state champions last season, of course. Eli Rowland is their top returning player. He's a senior running back. The, and this is interesting. Since the most recent regular season loss from Andale, they have outscored their opponents through the first nine weeks, 1,352 to 189. Uh, just a lot of dominance there from your alma mater. Any thoughts going into this season for the Indians? And as a football school, they're going to run that football right down everybody's throat and they'll line up. They'll have no wide receivers wide and they will just pound it down your throat and, and not apologize for it. So they continue to be able to, to, to play a high level. And I think since they've moved down to the, the 3A I think it's class one and class two, right? Um, they've, right. you know, continued to, to really dominate. So uh, expecting more from the same this year. Number two is the top team in the city league, and that's Northwest. Their 2019 record was 12 and one. They were state runners up. Their top returning player is Zach Daher, who's a senior defensive lineman. They're obviously 5A in the city league. Um, always a lot of talk about Northwest considering what they've done over the last few seasons. I remember it didn't seem like it was that long ago that Northwest, they I don't know if they were a bad team in the City League, but they certainly weren't the top team in the City League. 
Uh, and over the last several years, they have consistently changed that culture. And they come in with these rankings, at least from Varsity, Kansas, coming in at number two. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it was two seasons ago that they had their offense was, you know, through the roof. They were scoring a bunch of points, couldn't stop anybody. And last year, they brought in uh, who I mentioned earlier, my, my former defensive line coach and former head coach at Eisenhower, Mark Marinelli, to take over as a defensive coordinator. Turned things around, had a fantastic defense last year. And there, I, there's no reason to... You know, not think that that train's going to keep rolling in into uh, 2020. Sometime we have to get Coach Marinelli on the show, even Absolutely. just to you know talk a little bit because we've mentioned him so many times on this program that it just makes sense to have him on the show. He's, so yeah, uh, he's one of my favorite coaches I've ever played for, and he's just an entertaining guy. He, he'd be he'd be good to have on the podcast. And coming in at number one in the Varsity Kansas preseason rankings for Wichita area high school football teams. No surprise here. The Derby Panthers coming in at number one. Last season, they finished 13-0 as state champions. Lim Wash is their top returning player, senior quarterback. Interesting stat about the Panthers. They've only lost one regular season game since 2015, and that was the last time they went and played Mill Valley. So uh, they are undefeated other than that in the last five years in the regular season. Hard to think that they won't run the table again in 2020, wouldn't you think? Yeah, not. I mean, not much to add here. The, the they just continue to be a, a dominant team in, in the Wichita Metro. And again, once a, once these powerhouses get created, they just kind of, you know, can keep the wheels spinning and that's what they've got going there in Derby. The one other team that I, I just want to mention here very quickly, and I have to find exactly where they're ranked uh, just because I want to draw attention to it is Clearwater. I know I talked about them a little while ago and how bad they were when I was in high school. Now that was, you know, over 15 years ago that I was there. Um, but that being said, they come in in their predictions at number 18 in the rankings in the hey. top 25, which is good. They won a playoff game last year, which hadn't happened in forever. They were seven and three last year. They got bounced in the regional round. But I'll tell you what, it's better than winning three games in four years, which is what I had during my tenure at Clearwater High School. So I'll take being ranked at 18 any day of the week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe that uh, Andal Clearwater game will be something worth uh, watching this year. I doubt it. You know, <laughs> usually when Clearwater plays Andal, even if they've had, they're having an up year, they usually get completely, you know, run ruled and ran out of the building. So I, I can't imagine that would be the case. But hey, you never know. Thank you for being nice about that. But I, I can't imagine that that will be the case. Those are the rankings for the top high school, uh, Wichita high school football teams going into this season. And that wraps up our Wichita whip around. Let's get into our finally funny to wrap up the show today. We're going back to the ring ceremony for the Chiefs. And we're talking about Chiefs wide receiver McCole Hardman, who had a little bit of a blooper uh, during the ring ceremony. He immediately dropped his Super Bowl ring uh, on accident. You know, he you would think that for a wide receiver like McCole Hardman that he would have pretty good hands, but apparently not when he's holding his Super Bowl ring because he immediately dropped it. I'm sure he heard a lot about that from his teammates. Uh, McCole is he is quite the entertaining guy. He's got one of those big bubbly personalities that it's you know just kind of like we've said about pat it, it's hard just not to like the guy so a uh, very entertaining moment but uh did you see the the other finally funny within the same uh i don't know day i guess did you see the quote from andy reed about his super bowl ring i did and uh, but i don't exactly know it so if you if you have it pulled up or if you know what he said i mean I, i'm sure that i you know our listeners would love to hear that so would i yeah so he was talking about the ring unveiling and and they asked him i I think something along the lines of, you know, what he wear it or when he would wear it. And he said, this is the quote, you'll wear it for special occasions or if you want to go get a free cheeseburger, which is just the most Andy Reid quote of all time. You gotta love the man. I'm sure in Andy Reid's mind, going and getting a cheeseburger is a special occasion. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. There's no delineation between the two. That's right. And I find it pretty hard to believe that Andy Reid is paying for a single cheeseburger anywhere in the Kansas City Metro. Yeah, you don't need a Super Bowl ring when you're Andy Reid. You get that free cheeseburger whenever you want it. So a lot of really, uh, really a lot of fun stuff from that ring ceremony uh, for Kansas City. Uh, you know, Michael Hardman dropping his ring accidentally, and then of course Andy Reid trying to try to score free cheeseburgers uh, <laughs> out of it, which is still on brand. That uh, it's not even it's not even funny for That's Big right. Red. So super super thrilled for them for sure. That's going to bring us to the end of this edition of Keeper 
of the games. Um, you know, Weston, I, I know that, you know, between now and next week, you and I are probably going to be doing a lot of prep on the Chiefs and even on KU and K-State as, you know, really next week is kind of should kind of be our fall football preview as games will be in full force shortly thereafter the release of our next episode. Yeah, I mean, like I said at the beginning of the show, it, it's hard to believe football's already upon us, but I am so excited. I God, I just love football season. It's by far my my favorite sport, my favorite sport to watch. Uh, my favorite season really is fall, so <laughs> I'm going to be in heaven and be excited to talk some football and, and get a little bit more in-depth going forward. Absolutely. And you know, that, that I'll tell you, like you love fall. I love fall too. The reason I love fall is a little bit different. Like I, I love playing golf and I love fall golf, like golfing in the fall season um, is probably my favorite. I don't know why I just, I think you get through the hot summer months and start to cool off a little bit and you just have that much more fun out on the golf course. So, you know, whether I'm playing golf or whether we're watching football, fall is definitely uh, the best time of the year for sure. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't hate on that logic. And I don't know, as a um, lifelong, uh, I don't know what, what the politically correct term is, but a bigger guy, uh, always super sweaty in the summer. So it's nice to, to get that cooler weather in the fall. I I'm a full, full on board with you on that one. There we go. So we'll make sure to have our football preview on the next episode of Keeper of the Games. Make sure to hit subscribe. So whenever we drop a new episode, you'll get a notification. Again, you can listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. You can watch full episodes again on our website, cogpod.weebly.com. We are attempting to change that URL. Still in progress, still working on it. Hopefully we have that done soon. Uh, And of course, you can watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook just by searching for Keeper of the Games. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at any time uh, by following CogPod. That's at K-O-G pod. And that's where we post all of our show recaps and, you know, news and notes and things like that that come up uh, in between episodes. Again, that's Twitter and Instagram at CogPod at K-O-G pod. Of course, folks can follow us individually. Weston, what's your Twitter handle? At WMills94. You can, of course, follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. So we'll be back with a new episode next week for Keeper of the Games for Weston Mills. I'm Tommy Castor. Take care. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod. 